Purple Pens, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. This is the fourth episode of our Top of Your TBR series, where we ask the people we admire to share four of their ultimate reading recommendations. Today's special guest is the incredibly talented Rosa Rankin G. Rosa is a British writer based in Ramsgate. She's the author of two novels and her work has appeared in The Guardian, The New Yorker, Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, just to name a few. Her first novel, The Last Kings of Sark, won Shakespeare and Company's Paris Literary Prize. And her most recent novel, Dreamland, which was published in April 2021, was selected as Evening Standard's Best New Book. We are so pleased to be chatting with Rosa today. Rosa, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I would clarify on the Evening Standard thing. It was on one of many books rather than the best. <laughs> I like what you said. <laughs> and say, look, we're doing it <laughs> <laughs> we weren't sure, but let's go with the that was the best book. I like to prefer it. <laughs> we will always hype you up. Well, what we like to do before we bombard you for your recommendations is ask the most important question I believe you can ask anyone, and that is, what are you currently reading? See, the, the good thing about what you're currently reading is you tend to remember, like all books I've recently read, even if I love them, I forget instantly. Like I know that that is a kind of paralysis that many people feel, but people are like, <laughs> you know what? Do you like you like number one read when you were like ten? Um, I am currently I just finished on Chesil Beach by Ian McEwan, which I'd never read, but my aunt like kind of gave to me like a few years ago. I was like, you have to read this. It's always interesting when you get like family uh, recommendations or, or or any kind of personal recommendations because you're like, why does this person recommend it to to me? Like, that's always mm. like really interesting, and you have that person in mind as you're reading. So I felt very close to my aunt Trina as I was reading that book, and I think it's really like it's so it should be so quiet because it really is just about this you know a young couple their their like first wedding night together but he's so immature so dexterously like weaves in their backstory and it's just it's it's very beautifully done and a great like testament to a moment so yeah I just finished that and I'm moved on to Claire Keegan's small things like these which I feel has been recommended to me by like everyone like mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm only just like beginning and I feel that because it's a short book and I feel like I try everyone who's told me it's wonderful I want to kind of take my take my time with it have either of you two read it yeah I've read it I loved it absolutely loved it and I, I think I read it in one sitting so I did not take my time um <laughs> I was like I need to read it all now um and yeah it was it was incredible I just I devoured it it was yeah. like this little nugget of beautiful writing and I got a message as soon as you'd finished it like Hannah you need to pick this up yeah. right now <laughs> I just thrust it in people's hands. I do. I want like right now it feels incredibly like it feels kind of feels dual like it feels kind of even though like the sense of time is really present. It feels like it's written outside of time too. Mm -hmm. Very like lulling and seductively, seductively quiet, I think. So when am I going to be bashed around the head Um, in a way that, yeah, it's probably why I'm reading slowly too, because there's enough awful stuff that's going on at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) And then another book that I'm also reading and I've been reading this so slowly and there's two parties because I'm really enjoying it it's How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia I love the name Sequoia wicked name (laughs) and that is my vibe it was recommended to me by um, Sapphire who runs our brilliant um, local bookshop in Ramsgate oh Book Bodega Bodega. shout out to Book Bodega oh I'm so jealous I've followed them on Instagram and I'm desperate to (laughs) go I mean we're so lucky here Margate Bookshop's amazing Francesca I've got like Sapphire here too now I mean, she recommended it to me and it was just like a knockout. They are interrelated short stories which take place after the permafrost has melted and a disease has kind of emerged, which is basically killing children. And they're all of these short stories that come from really like elliptical angles and these surprising slants. And it's just like what I love about it. I really, I really love like socially realistic dystopia, hence Dreamland. And it does feel really like nuggety. Like you can feel kind of, even though some of them are very surreal, it feels incredibly rooted to reality. It's got, you know, that like Marianne Moore line about imaginary gardens with real toads in them. Like it's full of real toads that allows you to believe in all of these other horrors. Yeah, but because it's so kind of each chapter is almost like a short story, mm-hmm. I'm metering it out like over over time to, yeah, keep it going. Oh, that sounds amazing. Like <laughs> one of those books that you read and you're just like, this is superb writing, like super. Yeah, really? Oh yeah. my gosh, I need to get that off. Uh, I know. <laughs> We've not even started topping a TBR yet. 
So I know that we have brought you on today to talk about your all book recommendations. But before we get into your book recommendations, I think our listeners would drop kickers and rightly so if we didn't get to talk to you about your most recent novel, Dreamland, which we both loved, like completely adored. And for any listeners that are yet to read this gorgeous book, Dreamland is a dystopian novel set in the coastal town of Margate in a future which is unsettlingly close to home against a backdrop of soaring inequality and creeping political extremism. It's a novel about the power of resilience, hope and love in a world that's spinning out of control. Rosa, we'd love to know what your writing, pro- writing process was like for Dreamland and what inspired the story. To use the like the technical term, it was fucking dreadful, the writing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it really was. Fantastic. <laughs> it's like, it was, I mean, I'm really, thank you so much for saying that about the book and I'm really glad you both read it and liked it. And what's so weird is I'm really like, I'm so proud of it now and I, I, I really am I wish that I could go back and tell like the version of me that was struggling so much when I was writing it that like it was worth um, continuing and mm. I try and talk about this as much as possible because there are so many of these like aphorisms about writing like you know only do it if it's burning to come out of you and like all of the stuff and I think that like that ca- that can be true for some people but it is also just like not true for others it doesn't mean that they like shouldn't write and I think yeah I want to be honest about that because so many people struggle and when I was struggling I was like what's professional do you stop and you do something else that flows and has all these things and you don't hate yourself every time you sit down with the book or is it professional to like persevere and I'm so glad I did um all that to say like that makes it sound like the book's a real hard slog hopefully I think people <laughs> said that it doesn't you don't read it being like wow she hated herself the whole way through no absolutely not <laughs> how, like, it um it's just like you know when you're writing a close future like there's so much the book is based on social policies which are currently in action so it's not like it really isn't a far-fetched dystopian by any means but it still requires like a certain amount of like world building mm. and that's just like it's it's hard to do it's hard to get right and also with Dreamland because it's so close to contemporary life and it took nearly 10 years to write you're constantly like trying to incorporate the world that's happening into the future so like I started writing it before Brexit before Trump like all of these things and so then you're 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 kind of like oh god this is kind of unfortunately everything that was happening was aligning with what which is which is awful too mm-hmm. um, and now like we're heading into a recession which again is like I get no pleasure from when mm. real world like confirms I don't want to be some soothsayer like quite the opposite I'd like it none of it to come true but yeah it was a very very complicated writing process but I'm glad I stuck it out and anyone just throw away stick it out just stick it out yeah just push through definitely for a lot of writers to hear as well um honestly I was just like cleaning out this apartment um that I used to have and I found so many like old printouts and they are like hilarious and also really reassuring like there's just whole pages where I've written like boring and like (laughs) all of these like I've read it multiple times and one will be like this is absolute shit I hate you and then like me the next day would be like bath I agree all of it like it just just (laughs) like this cacophonous yeah and again I do think for some people writing isn't like that they kind of write sentence by sentence but for me my process sucks and I hope that it changes. I really hope that's not like a systematic <laughs> thing. It so does how many be... years did it actually take? Well, I started writing it in November 2013, maybe just afterwards, like December, like very end of 2013. And then it came out in 2021. Probably was finished like early 2020. Theoretically finished, then the pandemic happened and I had to work out how to kind of like bring that in a little bit. But yeah, a long, it's a long, it's a long time. A long time. Oh, I mean, wow. like you were saying, like so much has happened in that chunk of time, like Trump, like Brexit, like the pandemic like all these different things and did you feel like when you were writing it that those things kind of impacted the way that you were writing it like did it shape the novel in any way I think you know like things happened it was tricky because I'd have things and then they would happen in real life again not because I'm like some kind of predictor of the future like absolutely not they were just kind of things that were bound to happen Mm. but then you have to kind of think like I don't want this to look exploitative or like I'm just pulling from life like so then you have to kind of it's like this delicate just dance really to incorporate it or not like Alan Curdy the, the kid who was the Syrian kid who was washed up found on the beach like mm-hmm. but like the book had already start, had started for a long time with a, a body washed up on the beach a child and I you sometimes don't want to change something that you've already had in a book but then you don't want to it's just it's difficult and I, I hope 
hope what's in the book that does reflect things that have happened or have happened before, I hope it's done sensitively. Yeah. And it's it's not, I think like, I say this all the time, like we have this idea, for example, fiction of like dystopia being like in the future. And like mm. the definition of dystopia is people experiencing extreme injustice. And that's like now it's every single point in human history. Mm-hmm. So like I think I think that's what's really important with this book too. Like it's not about this like distant world that like is kind of you have to stretch to imagine. Like it really is already happening now. So much of it. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. I know. It sounds so depressing. There's loads of frogs. There's loads of frogs. <laughs> Just to start on a light note. <laughs> oh. um, no, but what I think what I found the most compelling part of the story for me personally was how well the working classness was uh, portrayed because as a working class uh, person myself Hannah is too that's really hard to get accurate mm-hmm. because things that because we had a conversation the, the other day uh, well earlier about shoes in the house and how it's okay to have your shoes in the house because we're working class so that's fine <laughs> just don't bring in any type trash with you <laughs> and like you know these little little things that you know if you're working class you know and it chimes with you and I felt like there was so many moments in dreamland where that was done so well and I thought I really really thought that was that was just a highlight for me how important was it for you to get that right it's a really like class has been something that is in all my books I think that it is something that fundamentally defines British like I think all writing is political writing and like Mm -hmm. our system completely like as ridiculous as it is as like like nebulous as it is to people outside of it who don't understand it it defines so much of how how people get everything so I think it's like it's just really 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 important I also think in the book one of the things I wanted to do is like break down some of the categories of it like Chance's mum is from a kind of like middle class family she's kind of fallen again all of the metaphors that we even have like fallen through the slats like all of this yeah yeah but I think it's like I just I was interested in how class plays out in like the entirety of the book and there's mm-hmm. a chance who's the main character the person that she falls in love with is like even like visually straight away when she meets her she's wearing like sun cream her voice is different she's from like fundamentally a different class and I think that like the book is written from a first person narrator and that's chance so that is readers tend to identify with a first person narrator but I think so many people who read the book are probably closer to the middle class character who like fundamentally chooses to make decisions well like so that's not ruin it but like will or will she not make decisions which are in her own best interest or not and like preserve Mm -hmm. the hammock of privilege that she's always had so I think just I was interested in showing how class affects everyone's life from the moment yeah the other thing is like there's such a trope with dystopia of like about middle class people and I love some of these books but it's like middle class people who lose everything that they had and so it's this kind of like nostalgia for a previous life yeah and like that of course that's an interesting story like someone losing something that they once had but I was interested here in like it not being a venerated past it's like yeah. a continuation of an existence that has always been like subjugated by you know I think that that's what what fascinated me as well is that it was very much seen as when things not to spoil anything but when things do sort of start to go awry a lot of the working class mentality is that we can get an opportunity from this mm. we can we can get something from this because I genuinely believe that most working class people are opportunists we take what we get we we push with what we have and I think that it's fascinating to see that kind of mentality when you know that the world is going to shit <laughs> and it, it this is going to be horrific but it's like there's still kids going yeah but I can make something of myself in this world I can still push towards something else and yeah it, and I thought that was so definitely done I really can't compliment you enough on it it's I think the other thing is with I'm not again I'm not like me versus the rest of dystopia like I can give you countless recommendations of amazing like dystopian novels I love but I think a lot of them too are interested in like what there can be like true post-apocalypse and then you know everyone's kind of like out for themselves like I that doesn't align with my view of what a socially realistic decline looks like either I think that's a really important thing like it's not because you want to be like the idea of hope it's not because you want to be like chirpy it's because we maintain hope for beyond the point where it's like realistic basically yeah and also like people just like I don't I think people help each other out like they they mm. do help 
other out and like community is like you know it can be it can be like a word that can be exploited or overused all of those things but like I think the book is you know it's a love story but it really is about family it really is about like friendship too and the ties of friendship often like stronger than romantic love too mm-hmm. and I think that that's a really that's that's something I like to talk about with this book too like it's it's not hope for it being like kind of uplit or feel good it's because I do think that that's like yeah how things would work out particularly at that stage of mm. time like that yeah I think as well like the subjective like class divides through the lens of like community mm. is mm. so interesting especially as we've you know we're kind of out of the pandemic now but you know, going through the first part of the pandemic, you really saw, you know, how apparent class divides are and, and what communities are kind of looking out for each mm-hmm. other and what communities aren't or, you know, where the community is. And I think, you know, you did that really well in Dreamland where there was the sense of some people were just out for themselves and some people were, you know, looking yeah. after each other. There was the the woman downstairs, mm-hmm. wasn't there, that would send up food. Yeah. Um, is it Viv? Yeah. Viv, yeah. You know, there was the sending up for food and there was the... and, and that that's the kind of environment that I grew up around where, yeah. you know, you'd be <clears throat> giving food to your neighbours or you'd be sharing things or if you'd if you were short, tea bags, short like, a bottle or two, do you know what I mean? It was all very much like that, whereas you know that there's specific communities in these, these are much more drastic circumstances than, you know, just not having a couple of quid. This is, mm. you know, almost end of the world sort of yeah. <laughs> scenario. But, you know, as we've seen in the pandemic, those, those communities become more apparent during in those circumstances yeah did that make any sense what's yeah, I, think it, I, think it, I think it also goes back to like all of like when I first wrote it it was more in the distant future but only because I hadn't really done the world building and like yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of the novels that I had were like so far in the future I had every character speak really in such a like spartan way like words were rationed to type thing and I was just like that's not like it's not like that like if you mm-hmm. think about going through the pandemic like your group chats probably went crazy like yeah joking all the time because it's like it's part it's gallows humor it's like main tech I think that like that's why the love story is really important too and like people like falling in love and falling into sexual obsession because like that happens too if you if it's like the end of the world or like Mm. like of course everything's felt more intensely like people fall in love on planes at a higher rate because of the like risk of death like so I think that that's a really important facet too like for for it to be a a socially realistic dystopia no absolutely and it and like you say, during the pandemic, people immediately, as soon as we were told we couldn't see each other, were like, right, okay, right, Zoom. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody, everybody get Zoom. We're doing a quiz. We do everyone we <laughs> I've ever known is gonna come and do this no, quiz. Exactly. And then you have to I still get like alerts from house party. I'm like, please, no, <laughs> no. I don't want to go in there. I never want to go in there. Leave me alone. But this is it, because we cra- we craved it. It was like as soon as it's took away from you, you crave it. And and you see that in Dreamland, yeah. you see this kind of like everything all of these uh, extremes it factors are pushing pushing you away but we're clinging to one another mm. we're clinging to each other to the things that we know are familiar yeah I, I love I absolutely loved it and sex is free sorry but like no <laughs> I was about to say no one can take that away from you of course like think about like Iran though like a million yeah. places where mm-hmm. gay sex you know that's even more taken away from you regularly mm-hmm. but like fundamentally two adults or young people in like a room alone can do so like they can do something that is completely like transporting transformative obviously it's like good sex pretty bad sex. like <laughs> yeah. but what I mean is like that's another thing that I feel is really important not important I don't it is important I think yeah. there's a sense it's of intimacy life and death, right like yeah. and death like that intimacy and that like falling in love those things are like you know the narrator's a 16 year old girl like this is a summer which defines everything for her yeah and yeah I wanted to get those things across too which you did yeah. beautifully you're talking to a woman that had a lot down baby so oh. <laughs> I can tell you about, about the need for intimacy so so obviously dreamland is a dystopian novel um but did you go into it knowing that you were writing a dystopian and like is that something a genre that you've always been drawn to or is it something that grew organically yeah I've always I've always like loved it have you guys read Deborah Zachariah no we've not 
such a good book who's that by robert c o'brien something like that um, like nuclear apocalypse a girl like she's the valley where she lives is somehow not affected by this like nuclear attack and her family also go into town and they're like they're gone and she's all alone and then she she spots like this kind of um like a trail of smoke getting closer to her day after day and she knows that someone's coming right and like as he gets closer it's a guy in like a hazmat suit and like suit not soup soup <laughs> like will he be like her savior or like destroyer mm. basically like books like that completely got into my consciousness I used to have like this caramel bag ready to go at any time like it only had a rope <laughs> like a tin of tuna or something and like a spare pair of pants but like I, I was love that. kind of like survivalist without any skills at all but like I think yeah I think what's interesting about like dystopian novels they often have a young um, protagonist and I think that they are particular I mean they're appealing to people of all ages but I think when you're a teenager there's something about like suddenly being given autonomy like suddenly mm-hmm. having to like fend for yourself is like terrifying and thrilling in equal measure and I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. be so kind of like appealing and lots of my favorites like How I Live Now by Meg Rossoff too they're kind of yeah these teenagers who are suddenly taken from their taken from the normality whether that's you know good or bad and put into a new like situation so yeah I was always interested in them um, and I did know with this book that I wanted it to be dystopian partially because my first book's like very semi-autobiographical and I really wanted to write like fiction um, and I was like so if I write it in the future can't have happened yet like I have to kind of make it up um, and which was kind of shooting myself in the foot because the book got a lot better when I brought in more of my own experience and things that like I saw around me so I did actually mm. like, bring bring in more like known life um mm-hmm. and maybe that's the kind of writer I'm best at doing more like reportage style stuff but yeah I did always know it was going to be dystopian and I've always like loved it I think some literary fiction writers like write dystopian novels having never I sound like I'm being so rude to so many people and I actually don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, anyone like verbally I don't even have anyone in mind particularly um maybe I do but, <laughs> but I do think some people I think it happens with lots of like genres you like literary fiction writers think like oh I'm going to write like something that's sci-fi but it, I won't call it sci-fi and then like they've never read one before I don't know it's just it can be done yeah. I think that they're the first person to ever do anything and then they mm-hmm. do all of the tropes they haven't done their like research and it's yeah. really mm-hmm. it can be frustrating because I think that like yeah I think genres are kind of ridiculous mm, um, yeah when they're used to like divide or like lessen things. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um one thing I know we're pushing for time I know you won't let me <laughs> as much as I like to but one thing that I did love was the relationship and the love story between Chance and Frankie and this glimmer of hope in this ridiculous world that they were in um, and without giving too much away how important was it for you to to write such a, a, a good love story in the middle of all of this kind of craziness well I keep on talking about sex so far so it was <laughs> well yeah one because it's realistic and two because well it's a gay love story in the book mm-hmm. um, and I also like when I was growing up um, it's different now completely but when I was growing up the only gay stories were like coming out stories or like can I come out will we yeah. do that? it should be forbidden and I and so like I really wanted like that is not present at all in there mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult for them to be together for like a multitude of other reasons but it's yeah. not it's not that and that mm-hmm. was really important to write like I didn't want I'm not really interested in the like shame or like it's not doesn't yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it, of course, like, and I understand it and all of those things, but I didn't want to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just repeating what I said before, but like, I think that falling in love and like falling in sexual obsession are some of the most amazing things that can happen mm-hmm. to anyone ever. And I'm always interested, like what I care about as a writer is trying to like capture in words what things are, whether it's like what the light looks like on the sea or what a place feels like and looks like or what, what a huge feeling like that feels like. Yeah, I'm going to embarrass you now. I just remembered I had a quote which touched on this love story and I thought it was, your descriptions are just so beautiful on like falling in love and sex and kind of all those things at a young age that feel so kind of like new and special. All these feelings are like, yeah, yeah, like you said, exciting. I would lie in bed, my back to blue so it didn't feel weird and try to imagine every inch of you. I had you stand in front of me and turn slowly. I wanted to do things I'd never done with anyone. I wanted to put my whole fist in your mouth. It wasn't soft like people say it's soft. We crashed into each other. I took handfuls of you. We never wanted to stop. 
And for days that turned into weeks, we didn't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh. Like you describe it so accurately. Yeah. And it's the whole like wanting to put a whole fist in her mouth. Like yeah. it's so like visceral and it's a quite a kind of effect it has on you that you can't quite articulate. And but you articulated it. So, yeah. <laughs> so you can. Some people can. I rewrote a lot of the book when I met my um fiance. I like, yeah, I rewrote a lot of the book. Um, and I probably put in too much. And one of my friends read it and she was like, oh, I maybe take some of it and put it in like a Kindle single, like <laughs> I, think, I think it's like, you know, cut down now to what it like should be. Do you know what was really, really nice? I went to a book club last week, which was a, a gay book club, um, LGBTQ plus book club in London. And it was really hard half men half women and what was really nice is that the like guys found that their like experience of like queer love was really like they, they, they were like we didn't really like some of the other lesbian books we couldn't really understand it and all the women were hysterical I mean they, they weren't exactly like as <laughs> they, they it, was, it felt so nice that like I do think that yeah the, the love story is gay and I think people, women who love women will probably like hopefully like feel something that they've felt represented there mm-hmm. but like I was really interested and I think all love is universal anyway but I was really like I felt so happy that like the gay guys felt that they saw something in their own like love in it too like yeah that's what I mean like a feeling of wanting to put your whole fist in someone's mouth whether Mm. that's like tender or rough or just like whatever that is like that is a feeling that we have like we felt absolutely yeah and I think yeah just your descriptions of like even down to sex like sometimes when sex we've had this conversation many times where like the way sex can be written in novels is sometimes oh. just like it makes my skin hurt like it makes I my teeth itch my skin <laughs> off because <laughs> it's so cringy but the way you wrote it was just like sexy. I can't it was sexy and it was like <laughs> raw and I, I can't even describe it it was just mm. so well written I feel like sex is such a hard thing to write I think it's like that so kind of you because like, it means it me I really care about writing it like well given that it is such a common thing that we all do yeah. um when we're lucky but uh <laughs> but it's like I think that what can go wrong with it is that people are like oh I'm writing sex now so I must yeah. put on my like like I must euphemize and and it's like what <laughs> surely you could just write it as you're writing everything else because mm-hmm. it's yeah I don't know I just think that kind of like directness is good I think Garth Greenwell writes sex really really well oh, I've still not read him but you bought me the book <laughs> <laughs> very explicit in many ways but it never feels like just feels that the same like lyrical yet completely piercing like view that he has on all things just extends through to sex and like yeah that, yeah it's when people completely change tone and you're like uh. Yeah, it's, it's like just like, it's when you know on or something, you know, and it's yeah. like yeah. It's just like, you know, it's coming up, you know what's going to happen and you feel the author knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. So everyone yeah. kind of goes like, oh, no. <laughs> Not again, stop it. Then it happens, you know, she's touched me here and I touched him there and touched me on my sex and oh, oh just no. when they call it the, the sex. sex. Oh. What? What is that? Because I've never seen one. Can you like? It's so weird. It's like, yeah, it's like, but no one's ever discussed it. And sure, like people discuss sex when they're having sex with their partner. Like they discuss it in a normal, like, I don't know. They're not like, they wouldn't say, how's your sex feeling? I mean, like... So why writing? It's like some of these great writers just get their like you know calligraphy pen and yeah, very weird, very very weird. Yeah. Now now that we have basically just picked your brains and I've uh, been able to say not all I wanted to say about Dreamland, but (laughs) um, but a decent amount. What we got you here for originally, other than to wax lyrical about you. I love black lyrical bits. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Is to get a hold of your four top ultimate reading recommendations for our top of your TBR series. I know that my pile is growing by the second. So some good tips actually. Well, this 
this is it we've all i've already listen i've already been writing them down that's not panic guys (laughs) that's not panic um so the first book that uh you chose was we are all completely beside ourselves by karen joy fowler why did you choose this book The, the, the the caveat for this book is do not google it even if you like buy it don't even read the back don't go on amazon reading like you there are so many spoilers for this book that i think Mm -hmm. sometimes even printed on the book so just like avoid all of that like whatsoever yeah um that would be my main like advice but it's just it's really wonderful like it the premise is it starts with i think she's 21 i think her name is rosemary some of these books i've not read in a long time blurry but my we forgive strength of emotion is still there yes She's like 21. She gets kicked out of college for helping helping this this um another another woman her age. And she, this is her beginning the story in the middle. And we realized that she grew up with two parents who were scientists, and her younger sister disappeared at a certain age, and she wants to find out why. Um, I love books with like strong, strong like narrative voices. This one is incredibly funny, precise, vivid. It really is like a kind of it just you it rollicks along. Um, but then with this book, and again, I can't really say that much, like too much about it, but it does that like feat of feat of narrative voice but it really is it really has a kind of broader like meaning um it's yeah like there's there's a real like ambition to it um mm-hmm. and I just finished the book and I was like yeah Karen <laughs> Karen You've, you've brought the name Karen back into good favor. Like, yeah, really, I've got Karen. Yeah, no, but it's like, it's everything you want to read in a novel. And then it also like goes that step further where it just has this like, first of all, like, yeah, thesis, a meaning and like real knowledge because the fact that her parents were scientists like comes back in. And yeah, I was just like blown away by it. So it's a, it's an excellent book. I love that. I, I have many people who, you know, are looking for a great, a great story. I have um, slightly broken your rule of locking it up before... Um, right, okay. but I didn't really find anything out about it at all I'll be honest I was a very good girl but <laughs> I did I did find a really funny quote that I was like and I'm a killer for a quote so um this is just a little excerpt from uh, we are all completely beside ourselves. When I win the world, librarians will be exempt from tragedy. Even their smaller sorrow will last only for as long as you can take out a book. <laughs> I was like yes all librarians will be exempted like I do it's very funny it really is very funny and then it's like knock you around the head meaningful and beautiful yeah yeah. and it is a novel about about family dynamics and the kind of lasting impact that like a parent's choices will have on their children but are these are these themes that you enjoy reading about who doesn't enjoy reading about family dynamics yeah like I love it but I just think it's like very well plotted because you have this sense of mystery, like what happened to the sister? Why mm-hmm. is she no longer in their family? But it's, yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, I think I'd completely underestimated it because all I knew about Karen Joy Fowler is um, the Jane Austen book club, which I probably underestimated too. And is probably like a majestic novel, but sometimes <laughs> people are published, you know, not sometimes everyone knows this, but like you can t- completely pigeonhole people. Mm-hmm. And then it's yeah. so wonderful when you just like, yeah, you pick up a book and you're like, oh, you're a fucking brilliant brilliant mm. writer yeah i can't wait she, she just thinks she's had a book out called it's a one-word title it's not byron booth yes <laughs> got the right first letter um, <laughs> <You're> close. <laughs> so close that came but out I, really recently yeah, didn't it came out really recently so i'm gonna definitely that's gonna go on my tbr too it's no. got a really funky front cover oh yeah it does it does it's yeah it's like funny like i thought it was like historical Colourful. it can know. be historical okay. and funny well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cool, cool. I see historical fiction though, and I get scared. I know you do. Me you too. Me yeah, too. I'm so me glad me. it's not just me. No, no, no. Me too. Me too. Me too. I really, yeah. That's not. That's not a part of the like beautiful puzzle of reading that I have. I have found my way into yet, which I guess yeah. leaves me lots of majesty ahead. So your second choice was Flight Behavior by Barbara Kingsolver. Love that name. But <laughs> <laughs> what is it about this book that you love? So I. I want to pick this book because I've, I've been asked quite a lot recently about like dystopia and cli-fi and I I forgot to mention this book and like it is superb and when I was picking my like TBRs for you guys or the ones that I would I picked to put on other people's I was trying to think about books that I'd really recommended recently mm-hmm. and my girlfriend fiance um is 
she's a climate um, negotiator. And I've been like, I really think she would love this book. And I think actually everyone would love this book. So it it is set in rural Appalachia, 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 Appal- how do you pronounce that? <laughs> I think it's Appalachia. Don't ask me. <laughs> Appalachia. 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 I didn't get it right with the two I did. It was the third one. Okay. It's in like, a fictional town called Feathertown. And these names are amazing. So her ne- the main character's name is Della Robia. Della Robia. Beautiful. She's like very unhappily married. She's having an, an affair. And I want to read you, the, I'm going to read you the opening of the books. I think it's amazing. like, oh, yes. so good. But um, she is having this affair. She's basically like destroying her life. And she runs up the hill on the farm where she lives. And she just sees this like blazing, looks like a blazing fire. And it's basically that all of these monarch butterflies have have just landed there. And it, at first it's seen as like, oh, we could make this a tourist attraction. Or is it like a godly thing? But it like these scientists come and it basically is like they, these monarch butterflies have changed their flight behavior because of like climate change. It's so good. The writing is like fiercely like what I love in good writing is like what good writing to my mind is like it's kind of like what I was saying before about the real toads in imaginary gardens imaginary gardens with real toads in them like this kind of a nuggetiness like a real Mm. kind of you see it, you feel it. There are like proper nouns. You're in the world. Like I hate vague lyricism. And this is really like precise and you're just in the world. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so well written. Um, I'm going to read you the very open. I think we've all like had this feeling. A certain feeling comes from throwing your good life away. And it is one part rapture. Well, so it seemed for now to a woman with flame colored hair who marched uphill to meet her demise innocence was no part of this she knew her own recklessness and marveled really at how one hard little flint of thrill could outweigh the pillowy suffocating aftermath of a long disgrace like that kind of like oh. hard little flint of thrill like it just burst <laughs> into life you know oh, and she's yes. like she's like what do we, you know she's having this affair which is such a minor thing when she is like these butterflies like in terms of what these butterflies represent that was barbara if you're listening i don't know if you are but i've just <laughs> i pitched your book really really badly but it is um it's a wonder it's really it's a nice like chunky book and yeah it's completely compelling and again i think like you know that we are all completely beside ourselves it's a great story really well written that goes it goes into like family dynamics and love and affairs and but it's also like deeply knowledgeable and has like this broader a broader meaning like it's not didactic but mm, yeah. it's just like like there's a there's a real point to it I don't, don't get me wrong I love books without point too but when you think about the ones that you that really stay with you like yeah, yeah. there's an ambition there you know that's like beyond just documenting contemporary life which I also think is like such a valid and, and like important thing to do yeah it's when people do both right like mm-hmm. they managed to like capture something of what it is to just have a normal human life and then something like just takes you outside of the world that you know mm-hmm. that quote I think her writing style is that that in that specific quote is just showing off well yeah I'm it's a bit just... I'm a bit furious anyway because I had a quote and it's not as good as that <laughs> Get it, chuck it in the bin. It's not happening. Um, I'm also really embarrassed and I wanted to laugh throughout that because I've just realized when you were emailing and you said about cli fi, yeah, means climate fiction, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. take it as that. What did you think it was? Oh no, <laughs> you know, so the clitoris. <laughs> My favourite genre. genre. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I've never heard of this before. <laughs> it does sound like me, but um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? If we can just make it one more podcast without you saying the clitoris, for goodness' sake. <laughs> my friend, my friend Louis, he's French and he pronounces it clitoris, which I really really love. Oh, clitoris. <laughs> Um. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! I'm uh, oh. I'm using that as a clip. Oh, yeah, please do, please do, because it's actually hysterical. So, what's your favourite clip fiction? About? <laughs> I'd read that that Barbara was writing about um a place that where she came from and that she knew inherently it was within herself um and obviously with you writing oh again back to dreamland sorry um, <laughs> with you writing about um like margate and about planet in the and places 
things that you obviously identify with because you live there. Why do you think authors are always sort of pulled back home or pulled back to where they come from? You know, it's a really interesting one. Like I, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in London, but we used to come here for holidays. And then my parents mm-hmm. moved here like 12, 13 years ago and I followed them, which I didn't think I would. But, <laughs> um, but I think there are like, there can be things which just exist like inside of you. And I think like British beaches, seaside, like always has since I was, I was a kid and then like it is just like I don't want to call it an aesthetic because it's not an aesthetic it's far more than an aesthetic it's like there's something fundamental about it like being at the edge of an island being in these like places which are sometimes so like festive and then sometimes so depressed like the the sensibility of it or whatever like just makes sense to me completely like intrigues me like when I walk around I'm always like wanting to take notes and I'm like you've written that book you can't like you can't do it again you go something else but there are just like things that just like just obsess you and yeah yeah for me that is British Seaside Long may it rain. Um, sorry. sorry, you did show us your gorgeous uh, view out the window before, which we're not even slightly Again, jealous not, of. It's not my, it's not my view. It's my godmother. I, okay. my, <laughs> my, the the rental place I had here, my landlady sold it. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm perching here at the moment, but. But yeah, like there are just there are just places, and I think that's what really comes through too with um, flight behavior. To talk about another novel that isn't Dreamland, even though it upsets me. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yeah, like it just it's that nuggetiness too. Like you just know that she knows the place. It's completely vivid, and you have that like you just feel like you're there. Like so, mm-hmm. these, I mean, like I want to reread these books, but I feel like such a sense of essence about them when I think yeah. about them. You know, it's like Margaret Atwood, Alias Grace. I read it in Croatia, listening to Strokes album, like on repeat. And now if I ever listen to any of those songs, I'm like wearing a bonnet in that that world. And I think like, yeah, some of those big like books that just transport you Mm -hmm. and they really take you for days, if not a week or two weeks into like this completely other place. Like that is just such, like like, that restores my faith in fiction completely. It's just like, Mm -hmm. wow, someone's just done this with like, just words they didn't need any budget for like that you know they've just done it like and yeah. that's amazing so thematically and I'm going back to dreamland you'll be pleased to hear <laughs> thematically the flat behavior is quite similar to dreamland did did this come as an inspiration for dreamland or you know, you know an, I think I, sorry sorry finish no, no no go on go on I don't think that I read it as like I think I, I must have read it like 10 years ago and I don't think I read it necessarily as like climate fiction I don't think I even like yeah and like with dreamland I didn't realize the extent to which it would be climate fiction until like as I was writing it too and I the other thing about that I feel is like every contemporary novel should be clarified like is clarified because we are experiencing the changes and the effect of climate change yeah. like now we've experiencing for the past 20 years so like I just get worried against that same thing we we're talking about before when like the genre is used to like pigeonhole books yeah like everything that is happening now is set against climate change right so like mm-hmm. it shouldn't be these like they shouldn't be like segregated you know like yeah but it doesn't feel heavy like it really is just it's just a great story that also like illuminates in a kind of like devastating way mm-hmm. one small and it's about the butterfly effect too like she's obviously not heavy-handed with her like themes like but it just works really well as a yeah eulogy to like a changed world that is one of the books on your list that I'm like really excited to go away yeah. and read yeah I'm so excited especially after the quote you just read I know I actually yeah, yeah. well let me know send me an email yeah we will <laughs> <laughs> You'll get full reviews, full reviews. (laughs) So moving on to your next choice, it's Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Now, this sounds like a right bit of me. Now, Rosie, you might not know this, but our bookends who listen will know this, that I'm a little bit obsessed, slightly obsessed, full on obsessed with planes and plane crashes. So I read the first two lines of this of this synopsis for this novel and was like yep I'm gonna read this um <laughs> yeah please tell us a little bit more about this book. well this kind of like relates again this was a, a uh, someone told me that they were really into like survival stuff recently and I was like oh my god you've got to read this book um and this was another one of the kind of like childhood books that just like got me into like survival stuff um and definitely like yeah like lit a lit a fear lit a and, and lit the kind of 
power of imagination to so the premise of Hatchet the, so first of all Gary Paulson's an amazing writer he wrote over 200 books for children and young wow. it's like he had an extraordinary life he was an alcoholic for a couple of years and then he managed to like go completely cold turkey he used to do like dog sled races across like Alaska amazing life and amazing books um so I just reread the beginning of Hatchet today and there's this, this kid called Brian basically and he is sitting in a co-pilot's chair he's flying between his two parents he's, his parents have recently got divorced and the co-pilot, the pilot's a bit gruff and he kind of shows, he gives him like a little, like shows him how to use the plane a little bit. Um, but Brian's just really preoccupied about the fact that his parents are getting divorced. This is done so well, by the way, it's very like punchy, pointless, like feels very modern. It's very simple, but just like so propulsive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like the pilot's got this like pain in his arm and then Brian smells like terrible gas. And then like, he basically slowly realizes that pilot's having like a, extreme heart attack basically so he's like alone in this plane the pilot dies and he's got to like use this tiny bit of like information he's been given to like try and land this plane he's in the middle of nowhere and all he's got is a hatchet that his mom's given him as like a gift before he leaves to go and see his dad and he has to survive and it's just like it's very unsentimental it's very yeah it's just like I remember like I remember as a kid the like this him realizing because of the smell that something's like really bad has happened and it's just like no no punches are pulled if you know what I mean like it's not it's never gratuitous it's not like it's never overwritten but it just like says really plainly what's happening to this kid Mm. and yeah and like there's a few of these hatchet books there's one where he like has his through winter there's another one where he's like saved but then has to come back for a documentary or so I can't remember like that but like it's yeah he's he's just a very 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 good writer and he understands I think these like he understands how to create very real characters and very real compelling scenarios with so few words like if you do yeah. read it like I just it's such it's such impeccable storytelling in that way it's half amazing oh my gosh I <laughs> know oh, seriously I'm like yeah <laughs> yes please so it is a book about survival and about I guess hope during bleak times but like what do you think like we can gain from novels like this as readers so I think that there can be like a stoicism like I think that people can like I think you in the writing of them and then the read like in the writing of them you do think like okay what would I do like Mm -hmm. how would I survive those things and I think that like yeah there's like a stoic preparation for bad things happening in either writing about them or reading about them in some way I think that's part of the appeal and then there can be a feeling of like glad that hasn't happened to me and my Mm -hmm. life better than than that um but yeah I think I do think it is about like work like trying to work out what you'll do in that circumstance circumstance yeah like, yeah yeah and I play endless like hypothetical situations like she'll be like okay someone's just landed in Heathrow with a like con- terribly contagious disease that's got like a 24-hour thing you're here what do you do where do you go who do you take like yeah you're like playing those games um, and I think that there's like is the combination of the fear you feel which like gives you kind of like an adrenaline kick and then like trying in an actually safe scenario to like work out a way to be safe and I think so like scary in so many ways like it's probably in conversation with that in some way yeah I think as well like there's a certain thing about survival novels where you can kind of remove yourself I mean you can't anymore but throughout our lifetime like you know certain things have happened in like other countries and we've been able to be like oh god that's awful like there's that whole (laughs) thing that people say like oh that's really awful how sad like (laughs) but you're fine yeah um but then obviously the pandemic happened and none of us kind of could have predicted what we could have but you know we couldn't have predicted you know the mass scale and Mm -hmm. you know how horrendous that would be for for everyone but I think that's the thing with survival novels now that you'd probably have a very different reading experience yeah with them in retrospect yeah and anyone writing one now I think would find it harder because it's a lot of what they would be writing about we've already had to do in a way yeah you know yeah it sounds like our brains are like to land a, a plane with a dying man and it into a yeah, forest no, thanks. you know what I'm so furious that I've not had the chance <laughs> oh my gosh that is, that's like Lydia's dream scenario dream, no but dream scenario is water landing get out yeah it's oh, not a, it's not a water it's not a water landing I'm afraid I'm sad about that. I maybe anyway the 
great thing about the many books I haven't read for a long time is that it's really making me want to read them again. Yes. Yeah. And I that is what that. we are here for. <laughs> We aim to play. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm right now a load, load of people are ordering these books. So this is, I mean, I think it's your only YA choice mm-hmm. out of the four. Do you read a lot of YA? Is it something that you enjoy reading? Because I, I know it's something that I've got really into the past like year. I was just wondering, like, is it something that you read often or? I definitely wouldn't like not read a YA book like at, at all. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't read one recently. I think the ones that like stay with me, I did read when I was younger. And then I've reread them with like adult eyes and being like, this is just as amazing. Yeah. Um, I think the best books are like crossover and any like the best books are just great stories that are written in like quite simple ways mm-hmm. um well, that's my like aesthetic anyway but yeah like I do think particularly well the next book too actually moving on is also <laughs> kind of like it is again I'd say it's a crossover book because it's yeah Dodie Smith uh, of like 101 Dalmatians like I Capture the Castle um and that too like it's definitely like completely enjoyable to read as an adult but you can yeah. definitely read it as a as a teenager even probably as a child like it's definitely pg like 12 Mm. tops you know yeah yeah um and that's yeah i mean that's completely different from the other books have you guys ever read that Mm -mm. no but we we did want to know like why why you chose that look at that segue (laughs) well i chose that because my girlfriend who i mention all the time in this um she (laughs) for a kind of like comforting read like on a big work trip right now and i was like oh you have to read this and i was reading the introduction of it before I, I felt like jealous of her that she was reading it for the first time <laughs> and like I've read it I've read it a couple of times through my life I read it most recently I think like my dad and I were in a charity shop and I saw a copy and I like already felt fondness to it and I opened it and I read the first line again and I was like oh man this is so good <laughs> I like bought it and then just like had this like delicious day like reading it um, so it does really just make me think of comfort. And it's a really interesting story. So Dodie Smith was a playwright and she had a very successful, yeah, playwriting career. And she got stuck, she's British, English, and she got stuck in the US during um, the Second World War. And she wrote this in like California, I think. Uh, but it's the most, like, it really is clearly like this nostalgia infused, like love letter to a place that she can't be in. And it's based on like a building that she used to see in her child. Um, I do think I haven't actually got it up I do I'm gonna find it because I do think it's really worth like reading the opening line of that because you get a real sense of like the narrator who just bursts into like being this like precocious (laughs) funny favorite kind of character it starts I write this sitting in the kitchen sink that is my feet are in it the rest of me is on the draining board which I have padded with our dog's blanket and the tea cozy I can't say that I'm really comfortable and there is a depressing smell of carbolic soap but this is the only part of the kitchen where there is any daylight left and I have found that sitting in a place where you have never sat before can be inspiring I wrote my very best poem while sitting on the hen house though even that isn't a very good poem I've decided my poetry is so bad that I mustn't write any more of it and it's just like I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's just so vivid feels very like it feels the voice feels very fresh and modern even though like scenario is very like you know it's like mannered in this country house like it feels and it, and then the narrative kind of plays with like Austenian style like themes of will the daughters find bright like find well the daughters find brides that's how I do it but um will the daughters <laughs> find like husbands it's just it's very very charming and clearly written with like love and sincerity and like yeah it's a it's a really lovely book it sounds beautiful I love that honestly um, that's another one there you go guys add that to your list (laughs) and it is set in 1934 and again with it being sort of historical now you know I think you could call it historical from where we're sat now and we talked a little bit about how Hannah tends to bulk at the idea like would this count as a historical novel to you I didn't I don't know I don't think it would but I think that with it being set in that period I think that um like it doesn't feel super modern does it no it's it's one of those books where I think that like don't be put off that's a very good question actually I don't know where I draw the line with historical fiction I think it's really I'm like thinking roughs like right. that yes like, but then I wouldn't but like, yeah I probably wouldn't read like I wouldn't read something uh, like I would I wouldn't I definitely 
would and have but like I feel less inclination to things but then like you know there's like how it's end there's so many wonderful novels of that period I think I I I think for me historical fiction feels like pre like maybe 1700s and 1600s yeah. Yeah. time um but but yeah this does feel really like fleet-footed and modern like it doesn't feel because that's the, that's the other thing too like I love Sally Rooney I think she's wonderful but I think like you know people can be like it's the first kind of like as if it's like the first fresh female voice and it's like yeah. there are so many extraordinary examples like mm-hmm. Francoise Sagan like I was reading I mean like Bonjour Tristesse an amazing book but I read like another one of hers recently called A Certain Smile and like it's just if you want like Rooney style like insouciance like it's all there yeah and I say like I'm not saying like anything negative about her at all um I don't think she claims to be pioneering anyway and she has definitely her own like style and I do think that like there's particularly if you if you're not reading if you don't read a lot of like um, novels which aren't contemporary it feels like this amazing like kind of like glittery glint when you feel like modernity or connection to something to like a voice that was you know she if she she wrote it in 45 but like Mm -hmm. that's coming up to 80 years ago like when you feel like oh you're funny and sparky and like just the same like that feels like it feels so exciting and I think Rooney herself, she's spoken about how it's kind of like everyone started to, again, like we talk about pigeonholing, about kind of saying, well, she's the voice of a generation. Mm. And how even Sally Rooney herself was like, no, I'm not. I just write books and I write these books for me, you know? And I think that... Like, even going back to that line, though, like the idea that Lena Dunham gets skewered for that, like yeah. the whole point in that episode is that she's like, I'm the, I'm the voice of my generation. She's like, then, then she says herself in character a voice in a generation like yeah yeah it's the contact self self-aware and then still like flatten it to this like claim that like no one's done that because no one is you know anyone who's actually like writing really good interesting stuff has the self-awareness that they're like yeah I mean it's just yeah people are ridiculous about any women who have success in that way oh yeah (laughs) absolutely my other question was actually referencing a quote about I Capture the Castle so I found this article on Vox that's titled Why I Capture the Castle has gained a secret cult of book lovers and it says every time I meet someone who also loves I Capture the Castle writes Jenny Han in her foreword to the new edition of Dodie Smith's 1948 classic I know we must be kindred spirits once you read it you fall in love with it and from then on you're part of a secret club self-selecting and wildly enthusiastic so I guess my question would be existed but that's cool to know you are you are part of the club you're part of the club without even knowing so I was going to ask you why do you think it has gained a secret cult following but I mean you didn't know it had one so (laughs) (laughs) surprise you're part of a a secret cult it's not that I was like wow I'm the only person who's discovered this novel like completely not not the case I was like um did this podcast with a really a, lo- a wonderful friend of mine um called Catherine Williams and it is the it's the book off podcast and you have to oh, like oh I love that yeah we love podcasts and I picked World War Z which I which is a a great underrated book um even you know it's underrated despite the fact it was turned into a film with Brad Pitt and she <laughs> I captured the castle and I wanted to be like well <laughs> like I would sign you, you know like, <laughs> you know, I do I do I do yeah people do really love the book I don't, like the word charming but it's so charming like mm-hmm. and I think you know a lot of the books I've recommended do like take you straight into like they're all great stories mm-hmm. but they're the first first three are definitely like yeah well hatchet will like punch you in the guts the others are like you know they're definitely grueling as well as entertaining in certain ways mm-hmm. and this is like bittersweet charming like it's it feels it feels like a time capsule um yeah that still like feels relevant today we're not relevant I don't mean like kind of thematically relevant I just mean like it doesn't the freshness of it like the voice of it feels like you know you're like speaking through time like it just doesn't I was gonna ask which of the four books might be your favorite but I think you've just answered that (laughs) I don't know you know like I would be so I'd be like immensely proud and just retire if I'd written like any of them (laughs) (laughs) 
please don't retire please don't (laughs) that's the thing like sophie's choice if if i catch the castle's got a cult following i've always wanted to run a cult so (laughs) now she's rosa we now crown you head of the cult (laughs) yeah but like harry paulson sold 35 million copies so that's true 35 million and one yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i know that these four choices are absolutely amazing and thank you for giving them to us have you got any honorable mentions i mean i know you sent us a list she sent us a list bookends we asked for four she sent a list because she loves it <laughs> and you we panicked we were like these are all brilliant um but uh, do you have any honorable mentions anything anything that springs to mind that you think you yeah, might have missed i think if, if anyone's like listening to this because they love like because they love dystopian but it's all like they read dream mm-hmm. and they liked it um i think that the dog stars is an excellent book i also really recommend um i have been on like a big doris Lessing bent recently I think Mara and Dan I haven't read it for like 10 years but that was a really formative maybe I haven't even read it for 15 years maybe I've got to the age where I haven't read it for 20 years Uh, (laughs) it might be the age where I haven't read it for 20 years but that's a really amazing um, far future book where a brother and a sister are making their like the we're going through an ice age and a brother and a sister are making their way um, through Africa uh, which is called Ifrik I think in the book but that's like a huge feat of world building Um, Mm. shout out for my my own mother's book uh the ice people my mum maggie g is like an amazing she's an amazing novelist i think she published 18 novels at this stage but wow she's always been like ahead of the game and we both have books that are set in like margate ramsgate that were out in the same couple of years and people were kind of like hers came out after mine i was like oh but she's done everything before me like she wrote a margate <laughs> novel before me and like the the ice people which is also set in an ice age yeah is like one of the first kind of climate fiction books she wrote it in I think it came out in 1999 really ahead of its time yeah and amazing research and yeah she's just a wonderful novelist and I'm having dinner with her tonight because she's in Ramsey oh. so so that's a nepotistic shout out for my own mother to no, we're gonna absolutely we're here for that. the mother <laughs> definitely <laughs> um so thank you so much for doing this episode of a pair of bookends Rosa we've absolutely loved speaking to you before we let you go we do even though we've absolutely dragged every recommendation drag. possible uh, we do like to finish on cultural recommendations. Is there anything that you've been watching, listening, anything recently? So I watched six episodes of the eight of The Bear last night, which is so good. Um, have you guys seen it? No, no I've not seen it. What's it on? on? Disney and I had to like get a, whatever, a month long. To watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no regrets. It is like, <laughs> so fast paced and like punchy and just like the acting is amazing. The script is really, really good. Um, yeah. I completely love that. I'm a big, like, I think Sam Levinson, what he's done with Euphoria is like mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, closer to home. Like, I love Feel Good. I love, like, Feel Good is so good. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched the latest season though, so no spoilers. <laughs> no, it's like, and the, I think the second season is even better. Um, and it's set in Manchester. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love In My Skin. I think that's absolutely wonderful too. I think there's like amazing, amazing like female writing. Well, female and male, but like there's such extraordinary writing. Mm-hmm. On yeah. And that feels like so exciting. Yeah, 100%. Just before we let you go, is there anything that you're working on at the moment that our listeners can keep an eye out for please say yes please (laughs) yeah no so my third book is um being written with the same process that i described (gasps) aka difficulty Um, (laughs) hopefully we'll get there in the end and it's called my only boy um and it is it's about a lesbian and a gay man who who fall in love like accidentally and what it's like to kind of return to like theoretic like heteronormativity after forming your kind of identity in a certain way but one of the things that's really interesting to me about it too is like I am really not done with the dreamland universe um and so this is kind of like it operates like it's within the same universe in slightly prequel-esque so it takes place in like London has like yeah we we meet like one or two of the characters from dreamland but it really is stop that it's it's set like I wanted to kind of write the even closer future political like landscape that builds up to yeah that so Amazing. yeah it's like it's like a contemporary not more contemporary novel but like that in yeah what we're living like economic fashion is... and a kind of like absolute obliteration of um political norms so music to my ears rosa music, music to my ears. Ears. <laughs> 
And uh, Lydia is going to kill me, but are there oh. any plans to adapt Dreamland? It's all about the adaptation. I need to know. There are, yeah, I'm not allowed to. Talk, I'm not particularly allowed to talk about it, but um, okay, that's okay. That's all we need to know. We just that's need all we need to know, to know. that a seed has been planted. But I will be uh, as we are actors. I will be um, don't forget keeping an eye out for auditions. Are... <laughs> I'll send you my headshot. What, would, wait, what, what, what characters would you? What would you? What would be? Uh, Stop! That is the best question. No, don't. Um, I would actually love to play Chance, but I don't know if yeah, I'm a bit too old. For you are Chance. old. I, I look young, not that, but young. not that young. No. no. Um, I don't know. That's difficult. I'd probably do don't that. tell me there's not a place for me in the adaptation. No, don't. I don't want to think about no. that right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can add in new characters. Hey. <laughs> Rosa, are you telling me that you're going to write us into your script? I think you are. I think you've got to go. The connection is really like it's very good. <laughs> and on that note, and on that note, so much, Rosa. This has been amazing. Yeah. This is like genuinely genuinely the longest conversation we've had I know. so far I'm sorry talking. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. I've been doing it so much well um it. where can our listeners find you quickly on My socials <laughs> not your address Podcast not your address yeah, I, I, I'm not very I'm not very active on social media but I am present there and I do love it's like yeah I don't post that much but I do love to like hear from people as long okay. as it's cohesive you know like you know nice so is, is it at Rosa Ranking J is that yeah exactly perfect amazing oh well thank you so much Rosa it's been My an absolute, absolute pleasure thank you guys amazing. thank you thank you and, uh, listeners please do rate review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts please go give Rosa a follow and if you've not already read Dreamland we're going to link to the book in the show notes uh, if you've not already read it what are you doing go buy it right now read it go and buy it right now and hopefully we have boosted your TBR with these amazing recommendations um, so thank you so much again and um, bye 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 bye